This special edition upload of the Game Sports Show brought to you by Compass Imaging and Signage as well as Demansky Office Interiors. Compass Imaging and Signage is a large format print shop, posters, banners, vehicle graphics, advertising, trade show displays, decals, wayfindings, signs of all kinds, graphic design, fine art reproduction, and custom work. You can check them out at www.compassimaging.com. Demansky Office Interiors is a well-recognized, full-service office furniture dealer and design company in Sault Ste. Marie and Algoma area for over 40 years. DOI represents leading manufacturers such as Herman Miller, Nightingale, 3H Manufacturing, Group LaCase, and Focal Upright Seating, with much more. Now, here's the best part of it all. Both fantastic businesses are located in one spot. 500 Industrial Park Crescent Unit 1 in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Make sure to stop by today and don't forget to check them out on social media as well, Facebook or Instagram. Booyah, and it's time for the Game Sports Show Special Edition Upload, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media Gem for short, along with the GameSportsShow.com. You're currently listening to the game through one of the many media platforms, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Facebook, Instagram, or through, of course, as mentioned, off the hop, through our website. Now, getting to the Special Edition co-hosts for this broadcast, going first to a man who needs no introduction, especially to our fans and listeners of the show, Scott Nason. Scotty, how are you, my friend? Dave, doing wonderful. Great to be on your show yet again, and uh, certainly interested in the guests that you have. Uh, very big guests, and it's going to be a very great show. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. And this is actually Scott's first and debut to our special edition upload, so I like to say that very excited that Scott has joined us. Second co-host for the special edition upload, a voice that everyone loves to hear, the knowledgeable and hardworking man himself, Alex Parr. Parzi, how's it It's nice to see you got my e-transfer today for that beautiful introduction. Thank you, Dave. I'm glad everything <laughs> went through perfectly well. Oh, you know what? You were very generous on your cash offer. You know, I had to make sure I gave you a bit better introduction than the last one we had you on for. See, and now you're even telling me I'm rich? This is perfect. You're giving me, you're paying to me perfect here, Dave. Thank you. Like that. Now, now we're going to get to our guest who also doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction. Getting to our special edition guest, and we have an extremely special guest here for this upload. He's a former sixth-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. He has played in over 650 NHL games, a Stanley Cup champion with the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks, and also known for his work off the ice with his new release, Here to Change the World, which is such a powerful story to bring forward, I must say. The one and only Brent Sopel. Brent, thank you very very much for taking the time to come talk to us on the show tonight. Uh, thanks for having me on. I don't know if I can uh, hold up to these amazing guests you got going on here. <laughs> I'm just a little pigeon here. <laughs> you know, we've had certainly a lot of great guests, but definitely, Brent, this is a very special uh, edition. I'm very happy that you're on. And first off, I want to say, like, obviously with you playing the NHL, obviously that's pretty good. Last I checked, you know, I think that's pretty fantastic. I think the NHL is missing a guy like you in the league because, like, but because as a player, you're so effective at your position. I don't mean like I'm not trying to brown nose here or suck up or anything like that. But you're a true heart and soul guy, you know, which was certainly a treat watching you when you were playing. The amount of times you block shots. Uh, the boys hopefully bought you some meals after the game and you played your role well. <laughs> they, they didn't buy me meals. They didn't buy me food. They bought me ice bags. So um, just as well. So uh, the thought no, that counts. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, the women say they want flowers. I just wanted ice bags. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and and right now you're in Saskatoon, correct? Or are you back home, or are you elsewhere currently? I'm in uh, I'm in Chicago now. That's uh, that's where I reside. Um, I do have kids. They dictate where I'm going to be, uh, control <laughs> my life from start to finish. So um, I am in uh, you know I am in Chicago. Definitely. You know, we had a recent guest, Scott Darling, that was on the show, who currently resides in Chicago as well. So it seems like Chicago is a good destination to be, especially after you win a Stanley Cup. And we're going to jump into the times when you played and all the fun times, obviously, winning the Stanley Cup, which you when I was watching the game that you won. But we'll save in to jump it into that. That was a very interesting way that the Stanley Cup went down that year, because I don't think anybody knew that that went in the net. But before we get into that, obviously, I want to jump into right away to discuss uh, your new release with Here to Change the World, okay? Like, obviously, this is a topic that we're jumping to uh, throughout a lot of the show here. And I want to give you the floor about explaining to our listeners who may not be familiar with uh, what Here to Change the World is, uh, as well as, t like, talking about the production of it and why you brought this forward. Yeah, you know, um, I started the Brent Sopel Foundation um, three years ago. 
um, to bring awareness for, of dyslexia. Uh, I was diagnosed with dyslexia uh, 10 years ago. Dyslexia is uh, one in five and it's hereditary. How I got diagnosed is uh, one of my daughters was struggling and we took her in to see a neuropsych and uh, got her tested. And at that same time, um, I would, you know, I went back with her to look at some of these answers and we connected a lot of dots. And that's how I was discussed and figure out that I was dyslexic, dysgraphic, ADHD. So um, dyslexia, again, is like I said, one in five, it's hereditary. Um, I, I always compare it to autism because everybody knows what autism is. And that's one in 65. And um, why, you know, I did the documentary, why I started the foundation, because I less than 20% of the world really knows what dyslexia is. Um, everybody thinks it's just flipping your B's and D's, but there's so much more to that. And the, you know, the biggest issue with dyslexia is the self-esteem. Um, there is very, to, to, very low to no self-esteem. And, you know, I talk about a lot of that on, uh, you know, on the documentary, which, you know, we started in February and you know, was finally able to release it uh, last Thursday on YouTube. It's, it's free. Because I'm, you know, I always say I'm here to change the world. Um, I just want to know that every kid, every parent uh, out there that is struggling, adult that is struggling, that they're not alone, that uh, I'm there right with them. Definitely. And I know what that is very powerful. And uh, Aaron, one of your representatives that you work with, you know, was able to give, feel fortunate being a part of the, the game sports show and be part of the media because we got a little sneak peek of it. And uh, let me tell you, I was right at the edge of my seat with all the powerful messages that you had in there and just what you did as a player. And Scott, you're familiar with working in kind of not necessarily this field per se, but I, I know this is something that you're uh, knowledgeable of in, uh, in, because of your profession. Yeah, I work in uh, mental health and I have worked uh, with uh, individuals with uh, similar challenges as Brent uh, explained. And uh, Brent, I guess, I, what was your motivating factor in getting this foundation? Obviously, you mentioned how you set it up, but it's not just something that you just think of on the spot and say, I'm going to do it. What really drove you to create this foundation? I had a chance to watch the video. Uh, very powerful. I think what you're doing is awesome. What was your driving factor behind this? Well, you know, the, the driving factor was almost, my, uh, you know, uh, a few different things. You know, the amount of drugs and alcohol I, I was doing after I retired, you know, from the game of hockey because, you know, I had no self-esteem. I had no education. I had no uh, work experience. How was I supposed to get a job? Um, I was thrown into to rehab with some uh, from some friends and family. And, you know, that saved my life. You know, I had to get sober. And actually today is 41 months uh, sober today as we speak and if, awesome. it wasn't, if it wasn't for me to get sober and be okay with struggling with the simple things you know and when I talk about simple things it's reading you know um, my brain's wired differently so I had to go back and be okay with you know with struggling and uh, just know that you know I've got other skills and that was basically the motivation and you know lucky that I'm alive today and lucky to be uh, speaking to you guys uh, you know, today that I am, like I said, alive. And you know, that was my motivation is getting sober and, and understanding about who I am and what I am. And, you know, then diving into dyslexia and being okay with it. And um, just knowing that nobody else, you know, is telling the raw truth about it, but this is a dead honest truth um, about it. And how God was able to, grab me a skill to to get me a platform uh called hockey and winning the stanley cup and you know um uh, if i'm just joe schmo down the street we're not having this conversation because you guys don't want to talk to me so you know i've got a platform here i'm trying to use that uh you know for for the greater good of the of the world and every every kid out there who should be granted the opportunity of being uh, taught the right way and you know, that's what my legacy, you know, what I want it to be is is the foundation and dyslexia. See, now definitely as a player, this is obviously something that you obviously must have battled through as a player too as well. Am I correct? You know, um, yes, I obviously didn't find out till later in my career. But um, the great part is that if I didn't have dyslexia, I wouldn't have played in the NHL as long as I did. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful that... Uh, I had dyslexia, allowed me to play in the NHL and my spatial awareness. You know, 50% of people in the world in prison are dyslexic, but also 50% of people working at NASA are dyslexic. 
a lot of dyslexic in a 3D image and um, you talk about blocking shots, spatial awareness, you know, people always say, you know, how are you going so good at it? Well, first one, you got to be ready to sacrifice. But two is I knew where the net was. I knew where they're trying to shoot. And that, you know, that goes with you know, a lot of my dyslexia. See, now such valve, I know Scott and Alex will agree that like the, what you were able to do as a player, you were a, one of the top defensemen on each team that you played on. Like it obviously followed your career played. Uh, which it all started at Vancouver, which must have been a treat playing there. But overall, you're able to take and harness uh, something that you found out like afterwards and just be able to put it for, forth for the good of trying to get out there. Make sure uh, everybody else feels comfortable bringing this forward because I think you may agree that the biggest challenge, and Scott, you can agree with this as well, with having familiarity with the profession, uh, despite if you're diagnosed with certain uh, diseases or illness or mental health, issues like some people are are sometimes cautioned to bring forth their concerns or speak up and i think that's something that you're able to bring forward that with with bringing this forward that you can maybe influence others to come forward which uh, that's something that obviously crossed your mind going that path maybe be that role model because obviously you're that role model as a hockey player now you can bring that forth on another perspective off the ice well you know the story that i'm telling my story you, you know i'm not telling it for me I'm telling it for everybody else out there that uh, that you just talked about. That uh, one that is, you know, there's a lot of embarrassment and shame that go behind this. Uh, you know, through parents' embarrassment, shame that they pass it to their kids, that they have it, their kids have it, they struggle with it. Or, you know, there's a lot of addiction and uh, alcohol and drug addiction that go with this. So I'm not telling the story about me. It's not about me anymore. Um, God has given me a, you know, path. He did some amazing things. But it's for every single person out there that can, uh, finally say that they're not alone, you know, because no matter what battle you're in, depression, anxiety, um, addiction of whatever sorts, um, you always think you're alone. And my one, you know, my, you know, there's a few taglines I use in a foundation, but the number one is you're not alone. You know, here I am telling my story so that you guys know that you're not alone and then you can do this. Now, Scott, you know, this is obviously very powerful, and I think that we're finding out a lot into youth hockey. We've had a lot of guests on that have that effect on the game outside of the outside of playing, and you being inside the, the profession, that's something to work with. Uh, is that an area that you see that you know having these individuals like Brent or even other guests that we've had on the show that bring forward that powerful voice? That's an influential piece uh, to the world. Absolutely. You know, knowledge is key in anything. And, and especially, you know, as Brent mentioned, with uh, dyslexia, with autism, with mental health challenges, because, you know, the, the stigma and that's one of the things here in the United States, you know, working in the mental health field, you're trying to avoid the stigma of coming forth and, you know, getting help. And Brent, one of the questions I had for you is talking about, you know, going to school now compared to when you and I went to school, there's a lot more technology and resources out there for parents who might be concerned about their child having a possible learning disability. What would you recommend uh, for a parent or somebody listening tonight that maybe has that concern that they haven't taken that first step? What, what should they do? You know, the first step is obviously hard in, in anything, but the early diagnosis is what key, you know, what is key, you know, Obviously, let's talk about my daughter. We got her diagnosed in, in grade two, and uh, she graduated, uh, you know, high school. She's going to, be, going to be a freshman in college if they do go to college with, you know, everything going on. But it was the early diagnosis. You wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the scars I have if I would have known what it is. And what dyslexia is, you know, it's a learning difference, you know, but I call it a learning disorder because the world's not educated enough to know the difference. And so the earlier you can get diagnosed and understand what that is, again, you go back to Scott, you know, whatever that is, autism to uh, dyslexia to ADHD to ADD, whatever that is, just that knowledge is, is the biggest thing ever. Okay, um, I know my son or daughter has this. All right, fine. Now, what are the avenues that we need to take? So um, don't be afraid to go to that doctor, to that neuropsych, and, and really understand what you know, what that is, because without knowing what it is, then, you know, the teachers can't teach your kids the right way. You can't get the IEP or any of the 504 uh, that your kids need. So um, go ahead. It's okay. Again, that's why I'm telling the story. You know, you're not alone. You know, there I am. I've struggled with it and I'm, you know, talking freely um, so that, you know, I can help anybody know to take that first step. 
See, and taking Absolutely. that taking that first step is, is the ultimate thing. And you you have it out on YouTube where it is uh, where it's free to like to access. But, but I know we haven't really let Alex jump in here. So as I was mentioning, like you have it on YouTube and there's ways to access it. But once I know the world's kind of uh, at a different state, if you will. That's putting it extremely lightly, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. But do you think going forward that this would be something that you could bring forward to like uh, go to schools with or go to colleges, universities with, go to seminars with? Is that kind of a goal? that you think would be reasonable to do this? Or do you think just going through the multiple platforms that are available through technology might be the most uh, reasonable thing to do at this point? Yeah, well, you know, right now with the world the way it is, not sure if, you know, kids are going to go to school or, or what it is, you know, putting out on YouTube so, you know, as many eyes and ears could, could see it and hear this and, and, you know, really see and understand where they're at. Um, you know, I wish, you know, I, you know, I hope that I can grow my foundation and, um, you know, make this my sole purpose every day from the time I wake up to, to the time I go to bed. Because when you talk about 20% of the population that has dyslexia, you know, this is this is a full-time job advocating for each and every one of these kids. Um, for the parent that has a son or daughter with dyslexia and they don't have it. And, you know, um, it's very hard to, to understand because... You know, if your husband has it and your daughter has it, and as a mom, you really don't understand what they're going through. So, um, and, it, you know, if that's going to colleges, if that's going to school boards, if that's going to, um, you know, any school everywhere, um, I, you know, I hope that's, that's what I can do. And obviously I've been up to Washington at the White House a couple times and uh, opened up some conversations there. want to do that up in Canada too and, and change some legislation on both sides of the border for, you know, for these kids because um, some brilliant kids out there that have ability to change the world, but they're not going to get a chance right now because of the way they're being taught. Yeah, definitely. Now, I couldn't agree more, especially I've always had questions about the educational system, if it's the best for the children. That's for another another time, maybe for us to discuss in its entirety. It could have been a show all in itself. But, Alex, like I said, I feel like I left you out a little bit here, which I apologize. Myself talking, Scott can attest to that. that once no I'm worries. Ready. This this is this is really important stuff. And, and the way that Brent's being able to tell his story is uh, fantastic. But my question is, someone that's really helped you tell this story is the director, Cameron Tesey. I look at his channel and he doesn't have any other projects of this sort. So how did it come together? Did you guys talk and he said, hey, maybe I can help you get uh, the message you want to share out there? Or basically, how did this all come to fruition? Yeah, you know, I've uh, you know put some things out on social media over the time. And, you know, him being Canadian and, and a hockey fan, um, you know, he was watching and, and following. And, um, you know, Cameron, uh, he'll tell you he's learned a lot about himself Know, through this process he reached out to me and said hey would you ever be willing to do a documentary you know so we had a couple conversation and um you know would you be open to doing a documentary i'm like all right what's that supposed to mean um <laughs> <laughs> really uh, so you know we got on a couple calls and um you know uh here we are today but uh, it's his his brilliance of uh you know obviously taking that first step and you know sending me that email and ask me if I'm willing to do it. So, um, you know, it's my story, but, you know, obviously his bravery, you know, to take that first step, send me that email and his hard work, you know, you know, putting all this work together, you know, the way he captured everything. Um, you know, him and his wife came up to Chicago in February. We filmed for, you know, six, or seven hours. And, you know, just the way he put everything together, he captured uh, everything, you know, in my mind, you know, brilliantly. Um, you know, so he's, you know, obviously – his credit goes beyond, uh, you know, what mine was to to making this happen and you'll be a part of, the, you know, hopefully changing the world. And just following up with that is the response. I'm reading through some of the comments is, is amazing. How has the response uh, been perceived by yourself? You know, it's been it's been amazing. Like you said, you know, it's uh, um, a lot of people in the dyslexic world have reached out to me that that I've known and, uh, and spoken to and. You know, people just nobody's ever told it the way way I'm telling it and the raw truth. And everybody kind of wants to, to beat around the bush. And, you know, I'm a guy that uh, tells you the way it is um, because this is reality. You know, there's there's some more ugly things that we did leave out there. But this is reality. And, you know, if dyslexia is if you don't have if you don't have money and, you know, you don't have much of a chance when it comes to dyslexia because of the, uh, the way way it is and what goes on and the tutoring and everything that needs to 
that to come with this. So, you know, just trying to bring it to the forefront so that every kid who has this has an opportunity, just like you talked about the, the education system. Yeah, you know, I'll say it, it needs to be changed. It was made 300 years ago for girls. Um, there's, I don't care if you're a boy, none of us can sit in a, in a classroom desk for eight hours. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've got nothing, dyslexia, ADHD, none of us can sit there. We want to jump around, throw a ball and be crazy. That's just who boys are. And, yep. you know, so we need to find a way to, um, make that education work for both, you know, uh, guys and girls and, and you know how that is. It's not going to be easy, but you know, there's definitely a way, uh, we can find a way for sure. Definitely. Scott, I'm going to slide over to you because I know you uh, had questions as well. Like I said, I don't want to take too much of the mic time as I love hearing my own voice when I hear back the show, but I want to hear yours as well. (laughs) Well, just uh, one more question, Dave. I already asked the one, but uh, getting what Brent was saying about, you know, schools and making accommodations, you know, we're currently in a a very unique situation now with COVID-19 as far as education and how that's going to look. Uh, Brent, would you say that you know, a lot of times when there's a, a tragedy, there can also be some good that comes out of it. Maybe this is the time where schools really start to look at, you know, accommodating students better, boys and girls, uh, you know, people with special learning needs, including dyslexia. Maybe this is an opportunity to uh, start to make those changes that you say that we need. Yeah, you know what? You know, there's always a message in something. You know, God always passes messages in negative ways because, you know, if they're always in positive ways, we you know we'd always miss it. And, you know, COVID-19. You know, unfortunately, with the people that have passed, you know, God bless them. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's been a lot of lessons. You know, it's uh, for parents. You know, I think a lot of parents knew that their kids struggled, but they didn't know to what degree because um, you'd send right. them to school for eight hours and. Um, the teachers would deal with them and you'd come home, help them with homework, but to watch them, you know, during the e-learning, uh, segment of your, of your kids, of whatever's going on that day to be at home and really watch them struggle or a kid with ADHD who can't focus or, you know, dyslexia, you know, there's a lot about touch and, you know, they really got to understand how severe the struggle is for, you know, for those kids. So, um, I think it's a great thing because now they're going to be able to advocate. They're going to want to advocate uh, even harder because they really understand what the full length of their kids' struggle is now than what it was before. Yeah, it, it is. It's definitely uh, something that I always said, and I said this back when you brought up the point about the education about five minutes ago or so, that I think there's a lot of things that need to change within the educational system and addressing uh, issues uh, like this would be uh, the strong point where to start. But now with the world the way it is, it's certainly going to be interesting how everything's addressed in the world of school and this world of sports and involvement and it just if how the use of technology i think is just so it's going to be so big the use of technology in terms of the future i feel with education because of what's currently going on so brad before we transition to your your hockey uh, your hockey career and your playing days uh and we're going to give us uh, more, some more time at the end about uh where listeners and viewers can find uh, and access you're here to change the world uh, but again uh, if you want to give a nice leather uh, plug and some more information uh, or if you had anything else to add with here to change the world no well, you know again you know the foundation website is brentsoblefoundation.org if uh, you know uh, there's information about dyslexia if you think uh, your kid's dyslexic or you got questions you can email me you know I'm on social media send me a message um uh, I will get back to you, uh, you know, when I can. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I'm here. I'm an open book for a reason why. Um, I just want every parent to know that. That uh, um, if there's a question, don't don't hesitate to to reach out. Um, I, I will get back to you. It may not be immediately. Just uh, with my struggles, I you know, I have some people send me a three-page email. Don't you know that I'm dyslexic? So that might take me a long time to, to read through. But um, you know. Just uh, just know that I'll get back to you with uh, uh, with some answers or try and help you out in any any which way I can. But also share the video. You know, you don't know who that might affect. You have no idea who who may be hiding from it, who may be embarrassed from it. You you, you have no idea that one person you, you might not think it might change the world. So you know, please share the video. Uh, you know, anywhere you can. You know, uh, the more eyes that see it, the more kids that we can help and. Uh, you know, we can help them change the world. 
you know, I'll say flat out that he does really answer quite quickly, especially for my standards, because I'm the guy who does ramble on in emails at times. I'm the, uh, and you were very, very great at answering. So when Brent says that he will answer you, he will answer you. So I'm glad to hear that you are an open book. And uh, I want to give myself a little chirp there because I am completely awful when it comes to emails. And I know Scott and Alex can attest. <laughs> you said it. You said it. I got some help that with you know people who are helping me with my social media and stuff like that. So they do pass me the messages, and um, again, I couldn't couldn't do it without their help and you know with everything going on. But there's a reason why I put myself out there, and I'm all about action. And I'm just not somebody who likes to talk about it. I'm not a big fan of a lot of these athletes that just talk. Um, and there's nothing behind it. You know, there's no action piece behind it. And that's where, uh, the documentary is an action piece for me. My website, there's an action piece for me reaching out to me. Um, if you, if that's what you want is an action piece for me. So, uh, I'm very big on that portion. Yeah, and that's definitely just amazing. He's so powerful and definitely, as Brent said, make sure you check out the video and make sure you share it. I'm Social media, when it comes to the world is full of connecting and just sharing and getting the word out there. We have the technology. We have the resources at our fingertips, literally, phones, laptops. Make sure you, can, you share this because this is very important. If you have the time to share that dress that you saw because you want to win that <laughs> dress from Chanel or if you want to win that free trip that's probably a scam post, you can hit share and sh- or – anything of such on your social media about this video, an important message, you know, maybe and some people wouldn't lose some likes or follow that. Share something that is meaningful to get out there. And uh, Brent, fantastic. And we'll get, when we get towards the end of the show, we'll do another quick reminder to our listeners. We, we're going to jump forward now to from when you played. I know there's a lot of memories that we can jump into. So obviously, you know, you started in playing the WHL with the Blades and going to Swift Current Broncos before you played in the American Hockey League. You know, we won't be too... I uh, won't stress too much about when you played junior uh, because there's a lot of experiences that you had playing in the National Hockey League. But, you know, you got drafted in 1995 by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you know, coming out of junior and being a Canadian, a guy, you know, being able to get drafted to a Canadian team. Th- can you explain that feeling, you know, like how it was with you when you got that call uh, back then by the Canucks? Well, it was, uh, you know, first the draft was in Edmonton, so – you know, quick five-hour drive from uh, you know from Saskatoon uh, for me. So uh, I had a lot of my family up there. So to have it so close to uh, you know where I was, you know, from, uh, easy to drive. Uh, you know, to drive up there and have so many family and friends around it. Um, you know, that was special. Then obviously Vancouver. You know, obviously one of the prettiest places in the world to to get drafted. And you know, for me, I didn't care where I got drafted. You know, I just wanted to get drafted. You know, everybody always asked me, who's your favorite NHL player? It was everybody. I just wanted to be one of them. You know, I didn't care on what level or where. I just wanted to be uh, one of them. And, you know, the first first step was was getting drafted. And, you know, I did have a sour taste, you know, dropping down to, to the sixth round. But I was uh, I was always a kid that, uh, with my dyslexia, I had to go back and, you know, I had to prove them wrong. And that was my mentality going into, you know, Vancouver that uh, – uh, prove every other team wrong that they didn't draft me and, you know, prove the Vancouver Canucks right. Oh, you definitely uh, proved the other teams wrong in Vancouver, right? Because I know your last couple of years was swift current, you know, 61 points and 56 points as a defenseman and uh, just under a point a game, essentially, in both those seasons. You definitely put the work in, you know, to get prepared. And I always say this when we uh, have guests, you know, that played uh, when you played, that is the real-time hockey. I'm not taking anything away from the talent of the people that are there now. I miss that old-time hockey, if you will. I don't mean the old-time <laughs> hockey from the 80s. I don't mean that. I'm, I mean from, like, the late 90s, early 1000s, you know, the with yourself, you know, the Peter Forsbergs, the Joe Sackicks, all these different names uh, that, that were on in the National Hockey League. It's so different now. The game's different. The the speed's different. But I guess that's what life is. Everything evolves. And, you know, you go, you go from playing that junior level and jump into the professional level where you had some time playing uh you know with uh, in the AHL with Syracuse and the development it seems like uh, Vancouver took the 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 caution approach with you and did actually maybe even the right decision but giving you time to to grow uh, in the American Hockey League before giving you that chance to come up full-time yeah you know what um at that point in time uh I needed some uh, some grooming and uh unfortunately you know Jack McElhardy 
he was my coach, uh, first pro coach and in Syracuse just passed away. Um, Jack was a great man, you know, rest his soul. That's, uh, you know, he helped create me who I am. He, he made me who I am. He was, uh, obviously a through bully, hard nosed man, but what a great kind heart he had, you know, behind the scenes. So, uh, you know, he just passed away a couple of days ago. So, uh, you know, rest in peace, Jack, you know, God love you for everything you did for, for me and for hockey and for Vancouver Canuck fans. And, Obviously, the Broad Street Bullies go back to back to the Philly days. So um, I needed to go down there. You know, I needed some grooming to. Uh, you always talk about understanding the bro, the pro game. You know, junior hockey was a different different story. You know, guys would go to school. You know, go and come back, play hockey. But it was a pro game where you're getting paid. You were getting criticized on every wrong move you made on the video the next day. You were expected to do this. You're expected to do this. It was a lifestyle. It was a a job twelve months around and. You know, you're talking about three and three games and three nights in uh, in the minors. You had to you had to learn how to become a pro uh, day in and day out. And I definitely needed that over the next, you know, the first couple of years in Syracuse. Definitely. Now you go from Syracuse and go to Vancouver and, you know, you played with some legends in Vancouver. OK, you know, you got Marcus Naslin, you got Todd Bertuzzi, uh, Brendan Morrison. You know, there's a, there's guys that you play with there uh, and also people that people know from Sault Ste. Marie, somebody named Dan Cloutier. OK, I know a lot of listeners know who that is, especially if you're from Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, so, you know, a lot of legends there in Vancouver. And Scott, I know you had a Vancouver question that you wanted to bring forward. So I'm going to give the floor to you. Well, speaking of Dan Cloutier, uh, Brent, I'm a big Detroit Red Wings fan, and the 2002-2003 season, you were eight-seated. Uh, do we the have Wings. to have this conversation? Well, oh, no. Oh, no. Briefly, <laughs> really? you, I know. I, I, I had to say it. You, you go into the Joe, you win those two games, and speaking of Dan Cloutier, that shot from center ice turned that whole series around. Uh, a tough one, but, you know, you were up against a pretty good team. How tough was that third game, giving up that goal at center ice? Oh, come on. Crucial. Uh, if, I was a, if I was a really good defenseman, I should have blocked that. Because <laughs> Nick Lindstrom shot it around me at center right. ice. So if I, was really, if I was a truly good defenseman, I should have blocked it. And, you know, so I should, should I, you know, so I guess I got to apologize to Kluge. That's my fault for not blocking it at center ice. <laughs> I had to ask and I apologize. <laughs> You know what? I'm glad. You know what? I didn't know that was coming. You're not apologizing. Who are you kidding? <laughs> uh, you know, look where the wings are now. So I guess I'll hear the ones laughing now. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? Honestly, I feel like when you have Nick Lindstrom coming down with the puck, anyways, you know when <laughs> that guy is one of the best defensemen to ever play the game. Oh, I got credit words, dude. Right? Like just an absolute true? legend. I got to speak. You know, just he's an absolute legend on and off the ice. So um, just true, true heart and soul of the, of the game of hockey. What an amazing man. Nick Lindstrom still not a, still pissed off that he shot past me though. <laughs> Have you ever talked to him since that happened? <laughs> Actually, you know it's so how I end up I was in Detroit for for training camp. I end up going through a tryout there before I end up in Chicago. So uh, yeah, I end up talking to him and you know spending some time with him. That's how I can say what a great man he is. Um, but again, he shouldn't shouldn't have shot it past me. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what i would have looked at i had some times where i know obviously didn't play the nhl level but the junior level where goalie let in that goal from uh the blue line the opposite blue line and you just look at your goalie and you try to shake it off you know that's uh that's one thing going forward though there'll be a story that will live and you know what that's something that you embed and will always remember and in vancouver though you know you had a team that was always just seemed you guys had that talent all the time, but it was always an exciting team to watch in Vancouver. You know, like I always feel like the the crowd's electric in Vancouver. Like, you know, that fan base is more than passionate. Heck, when they lose in the Stanley Cup finals, they'd be rioting on the streets and causing fires. So, like, I, I really feel that, the like, once you went to that series against Detroit, you know, you're playing against the, 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 the Red Wings that were literally a dynasty of that early thousands. Yeah, absolutely. Dynasty is... Uh... Uh, in understanding, but obviously, you know, uh, the guys they had there, um, what they did, you know, we had some great teams, obviously, you talk about, uh, you know, uh, Marcus Naslin, you know, Todd Bertuzzi, uh, and Brendan Morris, not lying to, uh, I can't even, the West Coast, whatever they called it, I can't even remember, but it was, it was phenomenal, you know, on defense, uh, Matias Olin, you know, Matias Olin would have probably gone down in history as one of the best defensemen in history if he didn't get that eye injury, that he did, uh, obviously Eddie Jovan, Jovanovski, 
it, it was just, it was phenomenal. We were very exciting, but, uh, you know, we always just, you know, came up a little bit short of what, uh, you know, what we wanted to, and that was ended up winning that Stanley Cup. See, now, you know, Pyre, you know, with him playing in Vancouver, us being in, in the Canada side, you know, we, we we keep tabs on all the Canadian teams, and Vancouver is definitely even an upcoming team now with them was certainly exciting. But even, Brent, after Vancouver came Long Island, where, you know, playing in Long Island, you also had some guys, or you also had the uh, someone that we talked about on a, a previous session with Trevor Gillies, who honestly was is a registered beautician in himself, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to say, you know, there's a guy that was talking about Rick, uh, Rick DiPietro, sorry, and just talking about certain guys that were part of that Islanders organization. Uh, part, I'll go to you to talk about his, uh, Brent's time there with uh, Long Island. You know, there's uh, an organization that had so much success in the 80s, obviously, and they're just trying to get back. And, you know, they also had good teams back in the thousands as well. But I know they ran into some teams like Toronto in the early thousands and just couldn't get over that hump. Yeah, unfortunately not, but it, it's just so unfortunate that he couldn't do it then, but ended up finding himself a Stanley Cup a little bit later. But as we're going through chronologically, I see here, was yeah. there, do you have maybe a specific moment from every team where you go, oh yeah, that was that was my favorite time with that team? Or does one team that you play for maybe stick out a little bit more? Well, you know, obviously it was a, it was a short uh, short stint in, uh, in Long Island, so mm-hmm. yeah, definitely some memories, but uh, um Wish I had some uh, longer, uh, longer time there, but some great players, some great guys. Obviously, talking about Rick DiPietro, you know, 15-year deal. I wish I would have had that. So yeah, uh, yeah. Does he uh, still buy his agent dinner or pat him on the back? Has what a contract. Well, he was the agent, you know, him and his dad negotiated with, you know, with the, you know, with the owner. So that's why I messed not, up. You should, I you forgot to get the ass be, of the owners. Yeah, you think he'd be a player agent now? <laughs> what? He's, he's all said. What does he need to do? He's got the brain truck back. Uh, hey, you know what? That touche, touche. <laughs> and then obviously with Long Island, there's the Kings, and then back to Vancouver and Chicago. So there was, you know, playing in LA first off must have been a treat because you can go to the hockey rink in your sandals. I'm not sure, did you do that when you're in LA? Because like the dress code now for the playoffs are going on the NHL. It seems like the dress code's out the window. Uh, but you know, when you're in LA, you gotta t- you gotta tell me, did you ever go to the rink in your sandals and shorts, or did you have to follow a dress code even practice? <laughs> Oh, no, there's, you know, uh, only dress code was during the games, you know, but uh, absolutely just about every guy went, went to practice in shorts. And actually, if you, you show up in jeans uh, to practice in LA, you, you got, fun, you got a funny look. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, that was, yeah, LA was obviously a great place to play. Uh, some good players uh, were there, part of the LA Kings, obviously, again, just short of the, you know, their run of winning their Stanley Cups, but uh you know, every every piece of this 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 journey for me was, you know, made me who I am, and you know, got to play with some some great players, um, no matter where I was, and uh, I learned a lot learned a lot about the game of hockey. I learned a lot about myself, and got to sightsee, and you know, I had always, and you know, my nickname was Samsonite, so I always had my bag packs. So I was, you know, always getting traded to somewhere new, so um, <laughs> I always had to be ready to go. But you know, there's always memories that I can look back that every team I played with guys I played with obviously got traded from, from Long Island to, you know, to, to LA with Mark Parrish. And, you know, you're going from Long Island from the East coast, going to the West coast to flip flop and sandals every day. It was uh, it was a nice change. Oh, it definitely should be. Then you also had guys there like you had J- Jeremy Roenick. You have you have guys like like Jr. who is also a social media guru right now. The stories that he and I got to give a special shout to Spit and Chicklets about this one. They have a funny episode about him when he was in San Jose. That I, I still laugh to that. But also just the guys that were in that locker room, Luke Robitaille. There's, there's just great names that I'm reading here. But even after LA is going as following an order here you spent some time in chicago so i want to jump into obviously the time in chicago you were there for once hockey started getting real in chicago again you know what i mean you have patch Kane, sharp big buff you know you have duncan keith you have uh the brent seabrook martin have you know and uh, andrew ladd who is uh you know not playing as you know not really fulfilling his contract in long island right now but there's a guy who made his name uh, you know, early in the National Hockey League, but just the team was so unbelievable. You know, when looking back at those teams that they had, I no, no wonder why they couldn't keep it together because of the cap. But that year that you guys won the cup, okay, you know, you have guys that are well-known here for like through the Ontario Hockey League, Dave Boland with the London Knights, like the list and the name goes on. But you have Patrick Kane, okay, 
we're going to flat out jump into it. Gets the winner in Philadelphia. Okay, I remember watching this in my dad's garage, okay? And when we were watching, we had some of my dad's friends there. And one guy was a Chicago Blackhawk fan. And I'm going to be honest, Brent, I grew up a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, so I'm a sucker for pain. Sorry, okay? boys. Sorry about your luck. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> yes. I haven't seen any, you know, I haven't had the fortune of being able to, you know, uh, cry and shed a couple tears like my dad's friend did when they won a Stanley Cup. Uh, but nonetheless, Patrick Kane scores. I remember watching the TV saying, what the fuck just happened? That's the words I used then. I'm not going to lie. And you, you were you were there. What was going on? Like, did, did everyone know that he scored? I knew Patrick Kane knew that he scored. But other than that, it just seemed like, okay, what happened? <laughs> yeah, there was, only, there was only two guys that knew. Um, if you take a look, if you get the, the camera shot from the center ice, you can see, obviously, Patrick Kane knew he scored, but you can also see Patrick Sharp in the slot. You know, he knew. Uh, but everybody else had, had no idea, you know. Um, you never see a puck going that way, um, you know, or and be buried the way it was buried, you know. So everybody jumped off the bench. I really slowly, I think I was probably the last, if not one of the last, to get off the bench. You know, I knew that this was going to be my one shot to, to, to win the Stanley Cup, and I didn't want to get too excited. Um, I didn't want to, you know, start throwing my gear in the air and then you know, find out it wasn't going. And I, now I got to go find where my gear is and pick it up and put it back on. Um, I wasn't in the mood to do that. I was ready to fire, fire it off and leave it off and never put it on again. And, um, you know, I slowly got off the bench and, you know, I was looking back at the bench, waiting for confirmation from, you know, from the coaches from the video room. And, uh, you know, once that confirmation was, then it was uh, it was showtime. Oh, definitely. Now you guys did win it in Philly, like I said, but imagine the the, the winning that cup for the first time, and it was I think it was like 50 years exactly, if I remember correctly. Uh, but winning in the madhouse of Madison, like the Chelsea's goal horn. Okay, you must still hear that, even though you played there. That is definitely like JVR from Philadelphia said that once he played there when he was on Philly, that he still has he still nice has about that goal, about that goal song, and how the electric madhouse of Madison was. So like it must, it would have been completely different if Patty Kane scored that in. in Inside uh, in, on uh, the United Center. <laughs> well, anytime you win, you know, if you win at home, obviously, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. But uh, I was going to beggars can't be choosers because you know you take it to a game seven. Guess what? It's anybody's game. It's one bad bounce. You you yeah. take a look at uh, the tying goal, of th- the, the three three goal. Um, you know, off a shin pad. Uh, it was Briere was thrown across. I end up off a shin pad. Landed right on. I think it's a hard nose stick, you know, back door, you know, with about three and a half minutes left to get. That's all it takes when it goes to, uh, uh, you know, a game seven. Didn't want to go there uh, with the injuries. We played, you know, a lot of hockey that year. So we're happy to finish it when we did where we did. So, yeah, and I think Par will appreciate this question because when we had Scott Darling on, he we asked him or we were talking to him about who gave him the Stanley Cup in 2015 and passed it off. <laughs> Do you remember who passed you the Stanley Cup in 2010 or how you got it once you got it given to you? You know what, I, uh, Patrick Sharp did. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was, you know, I had no idea. Um, again, uh, I had to watch it just, just recently, I guess, probably maybe about six months ago. I saw the video. Up until then, I had zero clue who did. Um, mm-hmm. Again, there's, there's a lot of that, you know, that whole year um, that I don't even remember of, uh, you know, so many things go on, you know, it's a long season emotion. Um, your brain blocks certain things for certain reasons. And um, I was just happy to get it. So I didn't care who gave it to me. Just give it to me. <laughs> just give it to me. Let me lift it. Scott, I feel like I'm taking your thunder by not asking some questions. I go over to you next, sir. <laughs> No, I was I was actually going to ask about the Stanley Cup, Brent, and, and you know once you finally got your hands on it and realized it, and you used the word emotion, and and I think hockey, professional hockey, above all the other sports, it's the hardest championship to win, and you said it with emotion. It's the most emotional. Growing up in Alberta, lacing up those skates in an early age, uh, you know I'm an American. I played hockey. It's a little different, I think, for Canadians. It's kind of every boy's and girl's dream uh, to you know, win that championship. Uh, once you finally had that sink in, how did that feel? Yeah, I know. I, I won it probably a million other times, you know, in the outdoor rink growing up in, you know, in, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, in Canada, lifted it many times, but it's still to this day, uh, you know, it is surreal, but 
you know, um, go back to our earlier conversation, you know, with my foundation, there's a reason why I want it. And, you know, I believe that was a path, uh, awesome. you know, it was meant for me to, to win it so that I could advocate and, you know, try and change the world. Uh, so, um, there's many days it is surreal, but, you know, those surreal feelings go away quickly when I'm able to, uh, you know, use that to, to have a conversation. Like I said, um, you guys wouldn't be wanting to talk to me if I didn't didn't win that. So it's it's it's, it's harnessing those things that uh, hockey has brought me, and, you know, able to open some of these doors that I can talk more about, uh, you know, about the, you know, obviously the very important part of my life is, you know, is that dyslexia. Well said. Well said, for sure. Now, Alex, I don't want to transition to talk about Atlanta or Montreal quickly. You know, Atlanta doesn't exist anymore, but there's one point I want to bring up about Atlanta, too. Brent, before we go to that, do you have any final uh, thoughts you want to bring up about the uh, Chicago Blackhawks and him winning the Stanley Cup? When it comes to every team professionally that you played for, does Chicago that year rank highest for the skill of the defenseman on the team for you? Good question. You know, that team, I think... uh, the NHL uh, was doing a top 20 all-time team, and I think uh, that team ended up being close to top 10. Uh, so um, to answer your question, obviously, yeah, you talk about the skill level that we had. You know, you, Andrew Land, Dave Bowen, Christopher Stieg, that was our that was our third line. Well, you know, right oh. now, you know, <laughs> a couple of years later, that that was anybody's first line. So uh, yeah. the depth that we did, you know, that did we have was it, it was just tremendous. So um yeah you know that team from start to finish ranks you know obviously skill level um camaraderie uh just on every level uh ranks at the top now you know what one thing i did want to bring up that i made sure i didn't want to forget was joel quenville okay there is one of the best coaches to ever probably coach i know you had uh safari there at one point for joel to go over joel quenville when you say his name there's a guy that just demands respect you know they're there, and I also, you know, through listening to other podcasts, it feels like Joel Quenville was kind of a beauty as an individual. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joel, Joel is a beauty, but, you know, yeah, so obviously he demanded respect, but he gave respect. Yeah. And um, what Joel was amazing at was reading the bench. You know, he, again, we talked about earlier in this conversation about kids learning differently. Guess what? So do, so do hockey players, you know? Yeah. Christopher C would learn differently than Brent Sopel. You know, Brent Sopel would learn differently than Patrick Kane. So you had to figure out how to pass certain messages if you needed this out of this guy or that out of that guy. And he could read the bench, um, you know, who was going. And, you know, he always found the right ways to pull the right strings. And But you're right. He was a beauty, but, you know, he demanded respect, but he gave the respect, too. And, you know, so it was... Uh, both of us, players and coaches, pulling on the strings together. And obviously that's why, you know, it's made him the second winningest coach of all time history. Um, obviously he's going to have a tough time ca- catching Scotty Bowman, but uh, he's obviously a lock when he, you know, whenever he quits and retires from, from coaching the first ballot Hall of Fame. No question. Definitely no question. Now, you know what? We, with the Atlanta thrash, I was saying the Montreal Canadiens kind of make it all together. I know when he went over to Atlanta, which is not a, Obviously not a team that now the Winnipeg Jets, which I'll say flat out, this is Canadian bias as well. Very happy that they made that change jumping over there, uh, especially with our good friend of the show, Paul Maurice, being the coach. He's got some great quotes, I must say. But we're not, in terms of the team, like you had Buff there, you had Andrew Ladd there. So you had some familiarity with players that you played with, and even a little bit of a Sioux connection with uh, Chris Thorburn being there as well. And somebody that we just actually uploaded a, a recent edition of is Rob Shremp. Uh doing a lot off the ice as well with 44 vision hockey uh speaking of uh, some past that people are doing off the ice beyond the game but being a, in atlanta there's a team that that i saw that actually had talent like a lot of talent and with yourself there even tobias enstrom bufflin evander kane and the question that i asked rob was if atlanta was in winnipeg at their time for their entirety because i'm a firm believer that fan momentum and a fan base can really drive a hockey team Uh, so do you think if atlanta was in winnipeg this whole time i don't mean to bash atlanta i'm not doing that but if they weren't in winnipeg throughout the start do you think that this team maybe would have been a better team because you know they did have some good players oh yeah had some great players and let's just atlanta was my favorite city to play in you know so um, you, know, you talk about the flip flops and, and the sandals. You talk about the what, but you're in the south. You know, everybody was you had the south mentality. Um, I, I really did enjoy my time there. Obviously, um, 
you know, you, whenever you're in, you know, warm markets, you know, you talk about uh, how long is Arizona struggled? When you, what are you going to do? Go golfing, or you're going to go, you know, watch a hockey game, or when you're in, you know, Tampa Bay. Obviously, they've had good teams now, but look at Florida. Anytime you're in a market where uh, you have multiple things to do, obviously in Canada, when it's minus 30, you got one thing to do. You know, watch hockey. So, um, really enjoyed my time there. Had some great players, and I guess you know, um, a lot of trades were made, uh, probably on the financial side. Um, so we're going to talk about, would you have a better team? You probably would because different decisions probably would have been made with, uh, you know, with the Winnipeg Jets rather than thrashers and, and trading certain guys and hanging on to certain guys and extending certain guys. So it would have definitely made, you made for a completely different conversation, uh, for sure. I would not agree more. Now, I will a couple more things before we let you go here. You know, Montreal was the one they want to jump into. And Alex, I kind of want to give you the reins with this because Carey Price, okay, there, there's a guy that you had the opportunity to play with when you went over to Montreal uh, for the dozen or so games that you were there. Uh, Alex, can I give you the floor because I'm sure you would have a, a great uh, point to bring up about uh, Carey Price. Was there ever a moment where you said, oh, I blew that play, and Carey Price just absolutely bailed you out to the 10th degree, and you were just like, come on. Probably 120 of them um, in my <laughs> short time. You know, Carey Price is, you know, um, one of the best goaltenders ever to play the game. You know, my worry was, and you know, my still worry is that, you know, they, they count on him too much. Yeah. You know, the it's been year, and year after year where, you know, if Carey Price isn't phenomenal – uh, Montreal Canadiens don't have don't have a chance, and it was you know you you rely on a guy, uh, you're paying him ten million dollars now. Um, he's probably seen you know I haven't done the done the uh, adding it up, but the amount of rubber that he's seen over his career is just way too much, and especially when you lock him up for uh, ten million for for the extended period of time that you did. Um, I you know I feel bad for him what what he has had to go on through seeing that much rubber, but yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. He bailed my, myself out many times, and every other defense and every guy I've ever played in front of him is buried and bailed out many, many times. Oh, he definitely did bail out. Now, Scott, I want to give you uh, the floor with any other NHL questions you'd like to ask, Brent. Before I transition to a, a question about the KHL to him. I was going to say, let's head to the KHL because that's where I was going, Dave, so oh, go ahead. You go there. No, you know what? You go there first. I'll go after you, sir. I, I guess my question, Brent, is just, you know, the transition from the NHL to the KHL. Obviously, uh, it had to have been a, a bit, little bit of a different situation. How did that work for you? You know, uh, I spent three years in the KHL, and, it was, you know, it was amazing. Obviously, I was treated uh, treated well. Obviously, you take a look at, uh, yes, it's different hockey because of the size, the Olympic size of ice, but uh, some of the guys that are over there, I played the Tarasenko. You know, Kovalchuk, Panarin. Mm-hmm. You know, these these were the guys that you know I was chasing around, yelling at them in, in <laughs> my half my half Canadian, half American, <laughs> half Russian, uh, trying to trade them down. But um, again, you know, it extended my career. You know, three more years, and I end up was lucky enough to win a Stanley Cup, and I'm lucky enough to play a thousand professional regular season games. But um, the culture uh, in and out of I don't know, 10 or 12 different countries, Sweden, Switzerland, uh, Belarus, Latvia, Kazakhstan, just some you know, amazing cultures, met some amazing people. And I, you know, I still to this day have some amazing friends from, you know, from that time. See, now, now that was actually one thing I was going to say about the KHL, maybe because you kind of briefly already answered it. But the KHL is the Olympic sized ice. The game is completely different. I feel KHL, the NHL. But is it fair to say that almost the North American hockey is adopting what European hockey was? Like, you obviously have familiarity with the KHL. But now the game, there's, like, hitting doesn't start till later now when you're younger, right? But I think that's a lot to do with, obviously, concussions and obviously following protocols. But besides that, the game is coming towards of what it was uh, where people are like, oh, the good old Canada game, right? Where you'd uh, take a hit, you know, you'd block a shot, take a hit, you know, maybe a good hit from behind when you have the stop sign on the back of your jersey from your kid to make that play. Uh, but now in the KHL and European hockey, they always had that speed, 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 less contact. Uh, did, was that something that you noticed there? And do you think that's a way that the game is going today? Well, I, I don't know. I, think, I don't know who brought it up and talked about you know old school. Yeah, call me a dinosaur. I don't like the game of hockey the way it is. I don't like these new rules. I don't like what they what a king, you know, the skill and speed. You know, uh, I you know I think it's boring. You know, it's boring hockey to watch yes. right now. Um, yeah. 
you know, do I watch a lot of it? No, not at all. Cause it's, it's that boring. And you know, you talk about concussions and well, you know, guys are, guys are skating around with their heads down, you know, for an example, uh, you know, Tom Wilson got 25 games, you know, two years ago for, you know, freight train uh, kid's name was Sundstrom. Sundstrom should have got 25 games for being stupid and skating through <laughs> the middle with your head down. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I guess they're adopting, they're, they're adopting yeah, the speed and skill and trying to get away from the hitting and trying to get away from the fighting and, uh, and, and making a free flowing, boring hockey game. And they're doing a very good job with that. But, um, the difference is the Olympic size ice compared to the North American size. And that's, that's what makes, you know, I think it's, five feet wider on each side, you know, you add that much, uh, you know, that space, you know, you give back, back in the day, you give Peter Forsberg or you give Joe Sackett or you give Marilyn Mew or Wayne Gretzky that extra time. They're ridiculous when they had this time, give them that much more time. It would have been crazy. So, you know, the game is changing. Um, you know, they have also talked about, you know, developing that ice surface, a hybrid from the Olympic to the NHL size, making it a little bit bigger. Will that ever happen? Um, I would say no, but I've seen a lot of things happen this last year that I never thought would. So I'll just keep my mouth shut on that one. But, um, you know, there's a lot of guys in Europe that have some amazing skill that just stay at home and they're happy to play at home. If you could make one rule change to the NHL, would that be what it was? It was expanding the ice five feet on each side? No, definitely not. You know, what would it be? Do you have one? I'm the old, you know, I'm the old school guy. I'd like to go back to, to the old battles, the old war. And, yeah. you know, that back when I played and, you know, call me grandfather, call me dinosaur. I, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed playing those games and, and, you know, it was a battle every single night. And now there's, uh, you know, there's not that there's more friends and, you know, they're sharing carrot sticks, you know, before the game at the red line and, it's just not like it used to be. And um, <laughs> tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. I just, I miss the old way. I love that. Carrot right. sticks. I love I that. Love, that's I fantastic. love that. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to make sure I remember that. That's a perfect reference. Now, you know what? Like, before we get to our conclusion part, Brent, because, like, we usually, for our guests, we ask one, like, quick question each so to sign off everything. But so the last thing I'll ask in terms of this uh, the whole segment in its entirety is, you, when you played your last game, it was with the Chicago Wolves. Uh, did you, when you stepped off the ice for the last time, did you know it was going to be your last time? And were you like, all right, this is it. And were you at peace with that? Or were you like, I don't know if I, or maybe there is still going to be more left in. No, you know, it's uh, everything my body, you know, I put my body through for, for all those years, obviously, you know, Chicago was great enough to, to sign me that last year was allowing me to get to uh, my thousands regular season game here in North America. So, you know, they were nice enough to sign me and, you know, I was almost like a player's coach. You know, I, I think I only played 27 or uh, 30 games, something like that, you know, that year because I was doing more coaching and I knew that was the end. You know, uh, my body couldn't handle any much anymore. And, you know, I'm still living with 300 discs in my back. And, you know, um, it was what it was. You know, it was a great run. It was a great career. Um, you know, I had the transition out of it. So younger kids were coming in and it was their time, you know, and it, Thankfully, it was their time. I had to go through a lot because we're having this conversation, and this conversation has to do a lot with my foundation and and here to change the world. So um, everything happened at the time it happened for a reason. It did happen for a reason, and you know what? Very powerful stuff, and definitely done very great what you did on now off the ice as well. But now getting to our conclusion portion of the show, we'll ask our uh, our very well uh, humored. Everyone likes when we ask the uh, questions. It's not really going to put you on the spot, but maybe sort of. Uh, it's not going to put you on the spot as much as the Dan Kluche question was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, out for this one. Pass me up on this one, guys. Uh, so myself and Alex, because Scott is uh, electing not to uh, ask it. So the two questions, I'll go first, uh, Alex, is, Brent, if you had another, like, another game to play in the National Hockey League, who would your defenseman partner be? Who would you choose? Uh, Matthias Olin. Nice. That's that was good. fast. That Any was reason why? Very yeah, easy. No hesitation. You know, no, not, not at all. Obviously, Matthias Olin, like I said, if he didn't get that eye injury, eye injury he, he would have gone down as one of the best defensemen ever to play the game. And, and you know, he taught me so much. Um, you know, I got where I did in my career a lot uh, because of Matthias Olin and uh, so uh, I'm obviously grateful for what he did, what he taught me, but one, you know, just a great human on, on and off the ice. So there's no question. Do you Al, keep up with him at all since, uh, since your playing days? 
Uh, we have to touch base to, you know, he, he's living back in Sweden. Uh, when he, he, he ended up signing in Tampa, we touched base, but, uh, haven't talked to him in a little while since, uh, since he's been in Sweden. But, uh, again, he's a guy that, uh, always uh, near and dear to my heart. You know, Alex, do you have a, a special question that you want to ask? Yeah, Brent, I guess the end, the ultimate goal of, of the documentary is to get the word out, uh, about dyslexia and being able to come forward and kill that stigma is there anything else in the film industry that uh, Brent's working on? Is there maybe an action movie coming out with starring uh, Brent Sobel? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't think there's anything going on in Hollywood right now. I think everything is shut down because of COVID-19. But, uh, mm-hmm. They're just preparing know, their offers for you. Well, you know, that's uh, you know they're only human figured out. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, I hope to, to, you know, off this documentary, uh, have some conversations with some, some other individuals and, and build that, you know, this isn't, uh, I don't see a huge acting career coming, you know, my way in action theater, but, uh, I'm hoping the fact that, you know, maybe I can do some more stuff with, uh, you know, with dyslexia and just bring it to the forefront even more because, you know, it's when I say less than 20% of the population knows what it is, that's a big gap to fill. It is definitely a huge gap to, to fill. Now, Brent, I want to say you can be followed on Twitter. It's I think it's at Brent underscore Sopel. I know we just got connected on Twitter. I believe is that you? Hopefully that yep. is the right person. Okay, perfect. There's no. <laughs> that's a good thing. Uh, you can, and then obviously through YouTube is here to change the world is where you can find it. Um, find the amazing uh, documentary or the powerful story uh, that you brought forward and. If any more final thoughts you want to give, another reminder to uh, any of our followers, listeners, uh, how to follow, where to follow you, etc. Yeah, you know, again, you got questions. Uh, BrentSimpleFoundation.org is the website. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, on social media, everywhere. But you know, just please, you know, send, you know, uh, share this video. Um, again, it's not about me. It's about every kid out there that's struggling. You really don't know who uh, may see this. Uh, who may watch this and you may change your life and you may save your life. And, you know, those are big words, but I can promise you, you know, if you have this and you struggle with this, when I say save somebody's life, it really means you could save somebody's life. I could not agree more. Now, fellas, I want to, uh, I'm going to go to our co-hosts. I'm going to say thank you before we, of course, sign off with Brent. I want to say uh, thank you, Alex, for coming on. And if uh, you'd like to say anything to Brent. No, this is just a big thank you, Brent. And as much as uh, you want to get your word out there, we really appreciate you just having on and being able to chit-chat a little bit. And uh, as much as share your message as well as learn a, bit, a little bit about the inside of the NHL. So I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, Scott, uh, same with you. You know what? This is your debut on this special edition, and this is uh, the, the biggest one yet. The most, uh, it's certainly the most enjoyed that I've had. The most powerful one too. Everything, a whole mix of some funny stories, especially that Dan Cluche story. That is probably the best question that's been asked on the special edition shows. I must add. Uh, but also, I want to thank you for you uh, and to you in general for coming on uh, the special edition uh, broadcast tonight. Dave, it's been an honor, and Brent, uh, working in this profession uh, for many years and having my own son with uh, specific challenges as far as learning and behavioral issues, you know, this this has been a very powerful show, and I've shared your video several times with many of the people that I work with, uh, some parents uh, that I know that have similar challenges with their children, so I want to thank you for leading this charge and educating myself and many because I didn't know a lot about dyslexia until I, you know, got the email from Dave and opened up your video. So I think you're doing an awesome thing and you're a down to earth, humble guy and you're using your platform for good that may certainly help someone, if not even save a life. So I appreciate you coming on and I wish you all the best and I will spread the information in my circles as much as I possibly can. Well, I appreciate you, you know, spreading that message and, and sharing the video. So uh, thank you. See, you know what? I don't know if I even want to start following Scott because your words are always so powerful. That's why you're the big brother of this crew, Scott. Be like, I don't even want to say my thank you. I'm, I'm not going to be almost – I don't think I'm going to be as good as that to follow up both yourself and even Alex. But, uh, Brent, you know, tackle what they both said and even also what I can uh, certainly kind of hear what listeners will be thinking is the powerful message. And uh, to make sure that the listeners and viewers, everything, check out – Uh, the video uh, here to change the world and Brent thank you very much for a getting this out and b just for taking the time Uh, I know that I must have been kind of annoying with all my confirmation emails so I promise you I'm not that that point of a guy Uh, and for you to take the time has certainly been an absolute uh, pleasure and honor 
That's uh, no, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, take your confirmation emails and throw them in the garbage. And but I appreciate you uh, <laughs> <laughs> taking the time and uh, uh, having me on and helping me spread the, spread the word. <laughs> that is a great way to end it. Now once that's again, a wrap. That that is 100% a wrap. Now I want to thank you again to Alex to Scott and to Brent for taking the time on the special edition show uh, of the Game Sports Show. Uh, make sure to check out Brent Sopel and all the pages that he has discussed uh, here on the show. Now getting to our conclusion portion, you've been listening to the show through our website, thegamesportshow.com, Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. Make sure you hit like, follow, subscribe on those platforms. Check out all the uploads of the game. Now getting to our conclusion portion, I'm here to remind you to keep your stick on the ice. Swing your bat, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah. You have been listening to the Game Sports Show, powered by Gem and thegamesportshow.com. Special edition uploads brought to you by Compass Imaging and Demansky Office Interiors. Shout out to our additional sponsors and broadcasting partners. ESPN 1400, Northern Superior Brewing Company, Sports Center Bar and Grill, North Shore Sports and Auto, Northern Critters in Need, and Thrush Creative Co. 